Today's sermon text is 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Thanks. The scripture by itself is sufficient, huh? Some powerful words there. Um, let's, let's pray before we get into the word today. And just call on the Lord for, for help. And um, also to pray for certain people in our community who are grieving. Um, King Jesus, we come before you this day just admiring the fact that you choose to live among us, to be with us, um, to hang out with us, to communicate with us. We thank you for your spirit with us. You would never leave us nor forsake us. You would be with us in trouble. You would deliver us and you would honor, uh, honor us and with long life you would satisfy us and show us your salvation um, we will live with you forever thank you for that um, dad I come before you on the behalf of the Hughes family the Greens the Lesters Quinn Clark's family the War family Angel and Josefina's family and all those that I don't have the knowledge to pray for come before you on their behalf saying, would you comfort them? As they have experienced um, death in their family as of recent, um, would your spirit just invade their lives? God, show them that you are available and that your activity in their life is tangible. Um, remind them of the hope that we have in you. And Lord, um, we ask for your help today in hearing the word, in receiving and applying the word and communicating the word, we come before you asking for your help. And um, just reading Psalm 90 this morning, and the servant Moses said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place from generation to generation. And before the mountains were born and before the world was made, 
from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And later in that psalm, he says to you, Father, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad forever. And make us glad for as many years as we have received affliction. Amen. Before we get into today's sermon, uh, I just want to um, restate some verses that we sang this morning. Um, so from the song, I Surrender All to You, the words, I wrote them down because they really hit me this morning. And I think it's very relevant to what, we'll, we, what we will discuss today. It says, I surrender all to you. Everything I give to you, withholding nothing. I give you all of me. Do you feel that? Everything I give to you, withholding nothing, I give you all of me. And another song that we sang, a verse says, Lord, Undo us till all that matters is your presence in our lives. That is dangerous. We sang that. What's up? Dang. That's so good to see you guys. Wow. We sang that today. Man, that is dangerous. Um, but, but it feels good. To come to the place in your life with Christ. And good to see the Martins as well. This is, and here we go. This is great. This is great. Um, but man, it's good to come to the place in our walk with Jesus where we're open, open to let him have his way in our lives. Like for real. Like really let him have his way in our lives. And um, I just want to re reiterate this because, you know, so often we sing songs and we don't realize we're praying. Yeah, yes. We don't realize that we are actually praying. You're asking God to do this. That's heavy. And we're going to talk about prayer a little bit today. But when you're praying, you're actually collaborating with God to see things in the world change. Collaboration with God. So last week we um, talked about having a mind for God. So this week is part two, and I titled it Resolved to Put on Christ Dash a Body for God. Resolved to Put on Christ a Body for God. So my outline today is uh, point one, a brief review. And point two, non-negotiables for change. Um, and point three is the secret to change. And point four, resolved to put on Christ. So a brief review. Um, in learning to set our minds on things above, we learned last week that habits are the mechanisms which enable us to make actions become automatic. 
You know, last week we did something that seemed foolish. We recited our alphabets as an example of a habit that has produced sustainable change and automatic effortless obedience. We did that. Wasn't that fun and enlightening? Um, We also noted that no habit is constructed apart from a plan. Concentrated intention, consistency, and anticipation. Anticipated failure, excuse me. Anticipated failure. Um, We talked about renewing the mind, which is creating new patterns of thought, which leads to transformation, as Romans chapter 12, verse 2 tells us. So by habitually um, setting the mind on what the Spirit desires, we come to the place where we are able to embody the Spirit's characteristics and submit to the Spirit's inclinations. Through setting our mind on what the Spirit desires, we become the kind of people who are able to actually do the will of God. And in this, we anticipate anticipate God's grace, right? We anticipate the power of God coming to our aid, enabling us to do what God commands us to be and do. Grace is God's ability active in the life of the believer, enabling them to do everything that God commands them to be and do. So we anticipate, we look forward to, we hope in the power and availability of God. And we experience that gracious power through action, not merely contemplation. We experience that gracious power through action, not merely contemplation. And this point reminds me of Corrie Ten Boom. Uh, She was persecuted with her family during the German occupation of the Netherlands for hiding Jews in their home. And on one occasion, she addressed her dad in regards to the Germans coming, coming and threatening them. And to encourage her, you know, he began to say something like this. But before saying that, um, she was imagining what could actually happen if they, if they actually showed up at their home. You know, eventually she ended up going to prison and other things happened. But her father encouraged her by saying, when you are going to take a journey on the train, do I give you your tickets three weeks in advance or just as you get on the train? And she replied, as I get on the train. And her father said, so God will give you the special strength you need to be strong in the face of death just as you need it, not before. And I say to you, grace is experienced in the act through action. So as we step out to learn how to put on the mind of Christ to learn how to cultivate a mind for God, we will experience the power of God showing up in the moment of need, but not before. So in my mind, I just picture um, a large barbell here, you know, like Mr. Shoulders. I follow him on Instagram. I see him lifting up um, these big weights um, and so if I'm going to like snatch up a weight here, I'm going to have to actually grab it, right? And pull to see if I have the ability to do it. 
But so often, we want to experience the power first before grabbing. And that's not how it works in the kingdom. We experience the power in the grab, in the act, in the act. So non-negotiables for change. Non-negotiables for change. The non-negotiables for change are training, action, and habit cultivation, which the Bible calls virtue. The non-negotiables for change are training, action, and habit cultivation, which the Bible calls virtue. On January the 15th of 2009, Chelsea Sullenberger, also known as Sully, safely landed the U.S. Airways plane into the Hudson River for an emergency landing when both engines were shut down after a flock of geese flew into the engines. There were 155 souls on board. You see that? There were 155 souls on board. And it seemed like a miracle. In fact, the governor of New York said he calls this incident a miracle on the Hudson. But for those who are familiar with Sully's background, according to Times Magazine, and I quote, his grace under pressure seemed less a miracle than a feat befitting a decorated pilot and aviation safety expert, unquote. His actions are the consequence of consistent training. Some 19,000 hours logged in the sky. This is a picture of what the Greeks called virtue, excellence. The habits Sully formed over the years, resulting in sustainable change, came to his aid in the moment of crisis. I want to say that again. The habits Sully formed over the years, resulting in sustainable change, came to his aid in the moment of crisis. He didn't have to refer to a manual in this moment of crisis. His response was automatic because of consistent, intentional decisions made one after another. His ability to act confidently and competently in a moment of crisis is the freedom that we're after. This is experiential freedom. It is the ability to respond with excellence in a moment's notice. And Second Peter talks about cultivating this kind of freedom, this kind of virtue. And Peter says, as we read before in, first P- in Second Peter chapter 1, he says, I want to read this text again. Did you all, did you all, you got, you all understand that? Sustainable change created through habits, consistent actions made one after another, which enabled him in a moment of crisis to respond with excellence. He didn't have to refer to a manual to see what should I do next. It was programmed in his members. 
And that's the kind of change we're going for when we talk about cultivating virtue, as we will read here in Second Peter chapter 1. And it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So when you hear knowledge, don't hear information, hear fact knowledge, hear knowledge that's developed through interaction. Interaction. So through these, verse 4, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption of the world caused by its evil desires. Verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. To mutual affection, add love. Verse 8, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Christ. Who would not want that? Once again, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, having forgotten that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, in verse 11, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That last piece, think about the Grammys. Think about Rihanna, you know. Walking up on the stage and one of her famous songs is playing and everybody says, that's what this verse is saying about you. For real, like really. The text says, if these things are happening in your life in increasing measure, you're confirming that God has actually called you and chosen you. You will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. This is like, this is literal. When the saints go marching in. So, making every effort and applying all diligence is a call to carry through with real personal involvement. When the text says, make every effort, my question is, how much effort does that leave out? Make every effort to add to your faith 
goodness, the text says. The original word here is virtue. Some text calls it moral excellence. Some translations call it moral excellence. We'll talk about that. But make every effort, applying all diligence to add to your faith virtue. How much effort does that leave out? That leave out. So making every effort to add to your faith, when the text says make every effort, it's saying make every effort to supplement and to furnish your faith with goodness. To supplement, to furnish your faith with goodness, with virtue. Do you ever think about supplementing your faith? Because faith by itself is not sufficient for the character transformation that God intends. It's going to get you in the kingdom. But you can come into the kingdom a wreck and stay a wreck on earth. But for the character transformation that God intends, God has a goal for your life. And that goal is to see you transformed into the image of Jesus. That is God's goal for me. That is God's goal for you. And whatever it takes to get you there, he's going to do it. But this is how we supplement. This is how we collaborate, collaborate with God in the process of change by supplementing our faith with virtue. This is where we begin. So think about it like this. Faith is the house and virtue along with the other ingredients is the furniture. Think about it like that. Who likes living in an empty house? When you move in somewhere, what's the first thing you think about? TV, couch, fridge, huh? Come on now. Stove, you know, you're looking for a house, they don't have the appliances, you might pass it over. Faith is the house, virtue is the furniture along with the other ingredients. Now, this word virtue, let's talk about it. This word virtue, or in the NIV, is, is goodness. Um, this word virtue is translated in some texts as goodness, as you see, and moral excellence. Virtue it is, but it's, it's more. It's more than moral excellence. It's more than goodness. So let's, let's talk about it some more. This word has the... It has the meaning of becoming the best that you could possibly be. Um, back in the early days, before Jesus' time, um, this word virtue, it even referred to, you ever seen a, a building that was so beautiful or a house with wonderful architecture and you said, wow, they did a great job with that. Virtue was, that word virtue was used for non-living things and also for living things. If you ever seen something perform well, it would be called virtuous. If you ever seen a skilled athlete, the athlete would be called virtuous because of the skill demonstrated through them, which showed they were excellent in their sport. 
And so this word virtue means to become the best that you could possibly be. Did you know that was in the Bible? It's amazing, huh? <laughs> Becoming the best that you could possibly be. Um, so that is summed up in one word, excellence, which is the pursuit of the ideal. But the pursuit of the ideal virtue is developed through training. That's how you get virtue. It's developed through training. It's habit building leading to moral excellence. Now, the ideal for us that we're in pursuit of and we have aid with us enabling us to pursue this ideal, which is a person, his name is Jesus. We're in pursuit of him. So the ideal is Christ, and God calls us to an active pursuit to become like Christ. And it's a pursuit that he's carrying us along in. This active pursuit is empowered by God. This man named William Paley said, a large part of Christian virtue consists in the development of habits. The development of habits. Who ever knew that so much could be packed in that one word? I had a mentor named Herb Hodges who used to say, God hides his best secrets in the most obscure passages. He said, they're like presents, a good present that's professionally wrapped. They don't unravel with one pull. Now, to bring this point home, I just want to look at one verse, one passage that kind of relates to this. Um, Titus chapter 3, verse 14. Titus chapter 3, verse 14. And this could be easily missed. But it, but it says, Titus, Titus chapter 3, verse 14. So Paul is writing to his spiritual son, Titus, and he says... Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live productive, unproductive lives. So it says, our people must learn to devote themselves to what is good. Why? So that in times of emergency, they can respond. I'll just summarize it for you, paraphrase it. Did you get that? Our people must learn to devote habit building, consistent action, devote themselves to what is good. Why? So that when times of emergency comes, it has just happened. It has just happened. Do you see it? Our people must learn to devote themselves to what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. So in the moment of crisis, automatic response because of the cultivation of the habit of doing what is good. What a different kind of motivation, huh? 
God wants us to collaborate with him in the cultivation of virtue. Making every effort to add to our faith virtue, goodness, moral excellence, empowered by him. All right, so moving forward, the secret to change. This is, this is, this is an easy answer. Um, not, not easy. But an easy answer. The secret to change is adopting the lifestyle of Jesus. The lifestyle primarily unseen by the eye of the public. The secret to change is adopting the lifestyle of Jesus. The lifestyle primarily unseen by the public's eye. And so, as we're talking about adopting the lifestyle of Jesus, putting on virtue, I want you to assume, to presume upon the power and the activity of God to help you. Presume upon that. And so, the spirit is ready. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. So, remember that. Keep that in mind. The spirit is willing God will come to your aid. So we anticipate grace. We anticipate the influence of his power as we step out to act. So the secret to change is adopting the lifestyle of Jesus, the lifestyle primarily unseen by the public's eye. Now, following Jesus must be equated with stepping into his private practices. Following Jesus must be equated to stepping into his private practices, which prepared him for his public ministry. His private practices prepared him for his public ministry, his manner of living in the public's eye. Now, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 tells us that it was by the spirit that Jesus was presented blameless before the father. It was by the Spirit that Jesus was presented blameless before the Father. But what were the practices that the Spirit empowered in Jesus' life? It was by the Spirit that he was presented blameless to the Father. But what what were the practices that enabled him, that empowered him through the Spirit? What were his habits? And that's what we're going to talk about today. The secret to change is following Jesus into his private practices. Um, Allie Raisman, um, her first name is actually Alexandra. She's, she, she's an Olympian. And um, she's a gold medalist and a, a, a silver medalist. She, on, on the floor, doing her floor exercises. You probably recognize her, right? I mean, a teenager with abs. You see her, she's like, doo, 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 doo. You, you saw her in the Olympics? She's amazing. And so recently, I watched a documentary on the Olympians, and she was being interviewed. And she made this statement, and it struck me, and I wrote, I wrote it down, and she said, We make it look easy, but it's really not. It took years of repetition. 
seven to eight hours of training a day. And once again, she said, we make it look easy, but it's really not. It took years of repetition, seven to eight hours of training a day. Her private habits made her public demonstrations look easy. Remember, we're talking about Jesus. I know we're talking about Allie right now, but we're talking about Jesus. Her private practices made her public demonstrations look easy. Now, through the discipline of training, she gained the freedom to do gymnastics. Through the discipline of training, she gained the freedom to do gymnastics. Now, when you watch the Olympics and you see them get out there and tumble and flip and roll, that's freedom. If I get out there, I'm, I can roll, and that's about all I can do, a half of a cartwheel, because I don't have the freedom to do it, because I haven't been disciplined, I haven't been trained, and you gain the freedom through training. When you see her, Allie, when you see her, you see virtue. Excellence. It's in gymnastics, it's not in Jesus, but it's still virtuous. That was developed through discipline, through training. Her private practices gave her the freedom to do gymnastics. And it just reminds me of Jesus said, what Jesus said. He said, if you hold to my teachings, then you are my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free. Set you free to live his, as his disciple. Set you free to live righteously. Freedom. That's what we're after. So to live as Christ lived is to follow him into his secret places, the places of his private practices. And when we do that, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. It's good. It's really good. Freedom. That's what we're talking about. So in the secret places, outside of the public's eye, we see Jesus doing such things as fasting 40 days in solitude. In Luke chapter 4, we see him, you know, fasting those 40 days in, in, in the desert. And um, he's experiencing strong, powerful temptations in the desert. Powerful temptations. You know? You know you experience a temptation when you want to do what you're being tempted to do. If, you're not, if you don't want to do it, you're not being tempted. This is the Bible, guys. He was in the desert 40 days. 
And afterward, he was tempted to do things that would have derailed him and derailed the rest of humanity, derailed the whole kingdom project. He was tempted for real. And you know, this is how we have to start reading the Bible. Imagine how you would have felt if you would have been there and if it was you. It says that Satan came and tempted him. How would Satan have come to you if you were there? How does he come to you today? That's how Jesus experienced it. Just like that. So we see him, we follow him into his private practices. And in his private practices, we see him fasting in solitude. Also, we see him, he found quiet places to be alone with the Father and pray. That's Luke 3, verse 42. In Luke 5, verse 14, we see Jesus practicing secrecy. And he did this by doing great works and telling the person, shh, don't tell anybody. He'll do something wonderful and he'll tell the person, shh. Don't don't tell anyone. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And in Luke 5, verse 16, it says that Jesus was in the habit of going into solitude and praying. And in John chapter 4, once again, we see Jesus fasting, mingled with evangelism and service. He tells his disciples in John chapter 4, he says, I have food that you don't even know about. And my food is to do the will of God. Now, as I said before, the secret to change is adopting the lifestyle of Jesus. The lifestyle primarily unseen by the public's eye. Public's eye. You know, when I was younger, um, I used to watch basketball just because of one person, Michael Jordan. You know, I didn't care about the sport. I just loved Mike. And I remember my first pair of Jordans. Man, I thought I could jump higher. I thought I could run faster. You know, I can dribble that well, so I hold the ball and run. <laughs> you know, and, you know, but, you know, you try to do that layup. Put their tongue out there. And, um, but as much as I tried to mimic Mike when I saw him on the spot, I couldn't because Mike had a private life that enabled him to perform like he did in public. His private life empowered his public demonstrations. And so no matter how much I saw him on the spot and tried to mimic what I saw, because I didn't have the private practices, I would not be able to accomplish his feats. It's the same deal. And so now we're taking a look into Jesus' private practices Because we're disciples of Jesus. 
which means our aim in life is to become as he is. And God will empower us for that. Now, as a disciple in anything, what do you anticipate? Failure. Messing up. You ever train somebody to do your job? Who ever had to train somebody to do what they're doing? Isn't it nerve-wracking? Because they're going to mess up and they're going to slow you down, right? But somebody had to do it for you, right? (laughs) And so as disciples, we anticipate messing up. It's going to be okay. We just try again. We just get back at it again, make a few adjustments, and we get back at it again. It's just it's discipleship. It's everywhere. It's in all of our lives. It's everywhere. So Jesus practiced and he modeled several things, but I want to home in on five. Five things I want to home in on. Solitude, fasting, prayer, secrecy, memorization coupled with meditation. So I know there's six things, but I'm putting them as one. So, solitude, fasting, prayer, secrecy, memorization, coupled with meditation. And I'm focused on these five things because I feel that we need them so badly today. Um, However, that is not to say the other practices of Jesus are irrelevant for us. So, last point, putting on Christ. Um, We must come to the place where we are not only declaring with our lips that Jesus is Lord, but demonstrating that he has functional authority over our lives. We have to come to the place where we're not only verbally declaring that Jesus is Lord, but demonstrating that he really does reign over us. He has functional authority in our lives. And as a church, we have to get serious about building the kind of people that can stand against the demands of this present evil age, live as though Jesus is actually Lord, and turn others into his disciples. You have to get serious about building the kind of people that can stand against the demands of this present evil age, live as though Jesus is actually Lord, and turn others into his disciples. And brothers and sisters, spiritual growth is not magical. It can be learned. It can be reproduced. You can train others in it. Um, There is a way to go about it. That doesn't make it um, pragmatic, um, but there's an order to it. There are patterns or disciplines which can lead us into growing spiritually. Um, Disciplines are for disciples. Um, A disciple is a person who has resolved that there is nothing more important in life than to model one's life after Jesus. As a disciple, there's nothing more important in life than to model one's life after Jesus. And as a disciple, as I said before, we anticipate messing up because we're learning. Being a disciple doesn't imply perfection. It implies process. Process. As in all processes, there's a learning curve. All right? So... A disciple is a person who has considered there's nothing more important in life than to model one's life after Jesus. And the Spirit will honor that. The Spirit will honor that. And so before we get into some of these practices, I want to say that 
Disciplines are not righteousness. They are wisdom. They are not righteousness. They are wisdom. They, They are paths of wisdom. And some of these practices are like the common nutrition, which is needed quite often. And others, other of these practices are like medicine, take as needed. Okay, some are like common nutrition, you need them all the time. Others like medicine, take as needed. These practices are not to induce guilt or encourage pride. They're not to bring on guilt or encourage pride. They are a means of increasing spiritual freedom, as we've talked about, and increasing joy. They are a means of increasing spiritual freedom and joy. So briefly, five practices. First, solitude. In solitude, we learn to be alone with God and rediscover our place in God's world. That's what solitude does. We learn how to be alone with God and rediscover our place in God's world. In solitude, we learn, we learn, we learn who we are once again. We rediscover our souls. In solitude, we learn that God is really sufficient. He is really what we need. We rest in solitude. We turn loose the world. We lay down our busyness. And solitude is what you really need when you feel that other people won't be able to make it without you. When you feel this increasing desire to be needed, there's a time for solitude. There's a time when you have to lay aside responsibility, lay aside power, and be with God and remember that he runs your world. Solitude brings us in touch with God as we lay down responsibility, turn loose the world, set aside power for a season, a short season. So in this time of solitude, we, re, we don't want to reoccupy ourselves with reading or listening to music, although you can do that. But we want to take this time Shut out the world and shut ourselves in with God. And some of us may need to do this just a 10-minute period out of a week where you just get still. You don't answer the phone. You don't clean up. You don't check your email. You don't do nothing. You just be with God. Jesus mingled his times of solitude with conversations with God. And when you find yourself very busy in life, as Jesus was quite often, that's a time that's cluing you, triggering you to escape just briefly, just to be. Fasting. Biblically, fasting is abstaining from food to devote oneself to God. Yet, it is a sort of feasting on the sufficiency of God. Fasting gives us an experiential knowledge that we don't have to get what we want. 
Fasting helps us realize that we don't have to get what we want. And furthermore, it enables us to learn to follow through with our decisions. When we decide to do something, fasting enables us to learn how to follow through with our decisions because it conditions us to control ourselves. And the fundamental problem at the core of many sins is the lack of self-control. The fundamental problem at the core of many sins is the lack of self-control. The inability to control, govern oneself. But we must learn, as Jesus did, to bring our bodies in submission to the Father. Fasting helps us cultivate control over itself. It frees us from the power that food has over our lives. From the power that advertisement has over our lives. From the power that society has over our lives. It helps us remember where our true need lies. Our true need is not in food. It's God. So with all of these practices that we'll go over briefly, shortly. I want you to remember. Not, don't try to be a hero with any of these. You know, you start your day of solitude, say, I'm going to go an hour, and I'm just going to be still and be with God. Don't start there. Don't do it. You're going to frustrate yourself. Even with fasting, start small. Try, try skipping a meal. You may, may skip breakfast, may skip dinner, may skip lunch. Just try skipping a meal. And turn your heart to God. Start small. And if that's not small enough for you, um, skip a snack. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the point is, start small. Progressively in the future, move to two meals and so on. And if you have a medical condition, res- consult with your physician prior to doing extended fast. Fasting apart from prayer is starvation. So fasting is a time set aside to devote oneself to God. Prayer. Prayer is conversing with God from the belief that our prayers are co-laboring with God to accomplish things in the world. Now, in prayer, we realize and we invoke the presence of God into our life's affairs. And Jesus created time for prayer. And he was busier than any of us. Any of us. Jesus would put the popularity of the Kardashians to shame. To shame. He never, he had to escape to get rest. Go to the mountains just to get away from people. As soon as he came down, he'd go again. People were pulling at his time, always. But he created time. To be with God. Martin Luther said, I have so much to do in my day that I have to pray. So, last two things. Secrecy. And we'll bring this plane down for landing. Um, (laughs) Secrecy is learning not to blow the trumpet every time we perform something good. You know, we live in a day in which, you know, we're consistently promoting ourselves and, and um, displaying our goodness. 
to the world. Um, as people used to say, don't toot your own horn. Um, so secrecy helps um, nurture, nurture humility, and it helps gives us the proper motivation behind doing good deeds. And Jesus practices, as we saw um, earlier in Luke. So an example, abstain from Facebook and Instagram for a season. You know, it's a simple way to go about it. You know, it's, it's one reason that I took myself off Facebook so I could learn how to not compare myself to other people. Uh, so I can learn not to promote everything good that I did. And sometimes we have to put up those safeguards to lead us on a path of holiness. Learn, secrecy helps us learn how to let God manage our publicity. Let God be your PR man. All right? So memorization. Um, Lastly, we, we live in a day in which we outsource all of our information to electronic items. You know, we, we, I have one phone number memorized besides my own. No, two. I had two numbers memorized. I have my own, mem- my own phone number memorized and my wife's. I don't even know my mom's phone number. That's sad. Um, so today, I just want to make this spiritual. We, let's reinvigorate the practice of memorizing God's word coupled with meditation. Now, the Jewish concept of meditation uh, would be to take in a truth and to say it over and over and over again, to mutter it, and thereby instilling it on the heart. You know, Psalm 119 verse 11 tells us, that word I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, Joshua 1.8 informs us that this book of the law should not depart out of our mouth, but meditate on it day and night. To meditate for the Jewish person would have meant to recite, to say over and over and over again, and thereby retaining it. Now, um, I just want to put some application questions um, up on the screen. Um, Saints, experiment with these practices. Experiment with them. Um, There are ways that God has given us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. The Spirit will help you resolve to put on Christ. And in closing, it's crucial for us to surround ourselves with people who really want to grow in God. And that doesn't mean that those who don't want to grow in God, that we neglect them. But the Scripture tells us that those who walk with the wise will become wise. And if you want to grow in God, if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're barbecuing and you're using charcoal, you want your coals together, correct? So if you light a few and the one gets hot, what's going to happen to the rest of them? They're going to catch on fire, but they have to be together. So we have to be, we have to be selective. We want people in our lives who are going to grow in God. David said, I am a friend to all who fear you and to all who follow your precepts. So we want to help those who are weak. Uh, We want to be in the lives of those who are struggling. 
but we want to intentionally overlap our lives with people who really want to grow. Aim for that. So applications, questions in closing. Um, why would you want to adopt these practices? Why would you want to, why would you want to, based on today, why would you want to adopt these practices? Um, number two, how might you begin to go about it? Because we're talking about experimenting with these things. How might you begin to go about it? Experimenting with them. Uh, number three, uh, how important is it for you to make these changes and why? These questions will help you own it. You, these questions will help you own it, not because I said it, not because I communicated it, uh, but because you're discovering it. These questions will help you own it. And lastly, what do you think you will actually do? What do you think you will actually do? All right? So may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit be with you enabling you to be and to do all that he has called you to be and do. And may you experience consistent encouragement from the Spirit as you act and participate with God in growing in Christ. Sanctification, becoming more and more holy, becoming like God, is an intentional and sustained collaboration with him to grow. Amen.